0: So, Lord, we thank you for the body of Christ, Lord. We praise you for the body, Lord, here, your bride, God. And we know that Christ is not divided, Lord. So, for wherever the enemy is seeking to sow division and discord, doubt, mistrust, Lord, I pray that the saints would be united in love. They would be one, even as you are one in the Trinity, Lord. And so, use what is done and said here today to promote that unity, God. In the powerful name of Jesus, amen and amen, amen. Thank you guys for taking part in that with me. I love you guys so much. I'm getting, um, in this season, I'm getting more revelation than ever, I feel like, uh, just about The purity and simplicity of unity in Christ Jesus, in the body of Christ, in the marital paradigm specifically between a a husband and a wife, and then then how the Lord has called us to be one in spirit and maintain that together together. Uh, in the in the uh, In the body, and just how similar church splits are to divorce in a marriage, and the children that they they get hurt in that being like the flock and and so the lord 's really messing me up in a good way with his heart, I feel like for the church to walk in in unity and uh We've all been through nasty uh, church split situations and difficult relational turbulence, and uh, and I just believe the Lord wants to do a new thing in the body of Christ now, and so I want to talk uh, about that today. I want to jump off from where I left off last week. As you, if you're here, you might remember we started in Colossians chapter one, and, and we talked about. That we want the church, Paul says, this is what I'm laboring for so intently. I'm praying that the church be encouraged in heart and united in love. And why do we want that? Because an encouraged church that's united in love will come to have or possess the full riches of complete understanding, which then results in them knowing Christ more. And so last week, we spoke about encouragement. How do we encourage one another scripturally? And I talked about the day of the Lord; it's coming soon. Encourage one another with these words. It's almost over. We just get a breath here. We just get a few years, uh, and and so it, because of that, we live with His day in mind, and we act accordingly. And it encourages our hearts. And the Hebrew says we don't forsake meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but. But we encourage each other all the more as we see the day drawing near. And so the day of the Lord is is upon us soon. Yes and amen? And so because of that, we have to encourage each other and say, don't give up. The master is almost coming back to the house. It might be midnight, but it's going to be very good for the servants who's doing what he says when he returns. He'll actually come and serve them at table. It's an amazing thought. So today I want to pick up in part two, and Lord willing, in a couple of weeks when we're back together here on Sunday morning, I'll pick up on part three of this issue of unity. We talked about encouragement last week. What does it mean to be united in love this week? What is the Lord saying in season about that? So to talk about that, I'm going to quote a, I'm going to talk about a Hollywood movie today. We're going to do a visual example towards the end and... uh, we're going to look and see what the Word says in the Old and New Testament. So start with me in Exodus chapter 30, if you would. Exodus chapter 30. The Lord is giving uh, requirements and specifications and rules uh, for uh, the temple, for, for washing, uh, for incense. And then he gets to uh, chapter 30, verse 22, and he starts talking about the anointing oil. This might be one that you haven't read in a while. So just stay with me as I read through verse 22 uh, to 33. Uh, Anointing oil. Then the Lord said to Moses, take the following fine spices, 500 shekels of liquid myrrh, half as much, that's 250 shekels of fragrant cinnamon, 250 shekels of fragrant or aromatic calamus or cane. 500 shekels of cassa, all in assorting and uh, according to the sanctuary shekel. And then here's the base. Here's the compound of this oil. It's a, a hen of sacred, uh, of olive oil. Make these, verse 25, into a sacred anointing oil, a fragrant blend. No, no, notice how many times he's using the word fragrant and incense and, and aromatic. A fragrant blend, the work of a perfumer. Or the work of a compounder. It will be the sacred anointing oil. And this is what you do with that oil. Number one, you anoint the tent of meeting. You anoint. God's dwelling place and everything in it, the Ark of the Covenant, the table, all its articles, the lampstand and its accessories, the altar of incense, altar of burnt offering and all its utensils and the basin with its stand. You shall consecrate them so they will be most holy. Whatever touches them will be holy. Number two, the second thing you anoint with this anointing oil is the priesthood. The sons of Aaron. Anoint Aaron and his sons, verse 30, and consecrate them so that they may serve me as priests and say to the Israelites, this is to be my sacred anointing oil. Think about the fragrance of it. It's like a perfume when a guy, when a priest would walk into a building, you'd smell him right off the bat. Sacred anointing oil for the generations to come. Do not, this is the rules, two things. You cannot pour this sacred anointing oil on anyone else's body And you cannot imitate this oil. You cannot make any other oil using the same formula because it's sacred. And whoever makes perfume like it and puts it on anyone other than a priest must be cut off from the people. So real quick, God's anointing oil goes on the tabernacle on the temple of God where he dwells, and it goes on his priests and people. And this should make us think of uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, where it says, we've been made into a holy temple, living stone against living stone, and we're the priests now of God. So his anointing oil does not go on anything worldly. It cannot touch the flesh of a man. His anointing oil goes on his priests in his temple. And we are collectively the temple of God. And this anointing oil obviously is The Holy Spirit, the base, the compound of this oil is the oil of the Holy Spirit. And it's mixed with all these wonderful fragrances and spices, and it smells so strong. Okay, why am I saying this to you? Because we have to understand Exodus 30 in order to understand three little verses in the book of Psalms to understand what he's trying to get to in the unity of the Spirit. So take a right with me, if you would, and go to Psalms. 133. Three little verses, power packed. I think I, th- I think I spent three hours in these here earlier this week. Psalms 133. Behold, or look with your eyes, with eyes of your heart, discern with me, if you would, for a moment, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together or dwell together in unity when they delight in promoting one another above themselves. Behold how good and pleasant it is when God's people dwell together in unity. This is what it's like. It is like the precious or the fragrant or the perfumed oil that is poured on the head and it's running down on the beard. It's running down on the high priest's beard, Aaron's beard. Down, it actually runs from his head, down his beard, down to the hem of his robe, all the way down his garment's. That's one thing that it's like. Here's one example. Here's another example. It's like as if the dew of Mount Hermon, the highest mountain there in Israel in the northernmost parts of Israel were falling on the foothills of Mount Zion, The dew of Hermon, which is known, they say if you camp there with a tent, you wake up and it looks like there was a rain shower the night before. It's so green and rich and drenched with dew. And and the land of Israel is like a barren, kind of an arid place, but that is green and drenched. And it's like that was falling on the foothills of Mount Zion. The church that there's this richness every morning you wake up and there's this fresh, refreshing blessing. His new mercies every morning. So every time we come together as a church, there's this sweet, refreshing dew from heaven. Every time we're unified in the spirit, there's an uncontainable smell that gets released in the spirit realm. You cannot contain the smell of a heavily perfumed priest when he walks in the door, yes? There's no way to grab it with your hands or to get it away. It goes everywhere, it permeates everything. And like that, when the church is walking in unity, the smell is released into the community around it. It's the beautiful smell of unity. These two examples, the precious oil like was poured, the anointing oil that was poured on the priests and on the temple, and like the dew of Hermon, this mountain, this is the place. There, the Lord commands his blessing or he bestows his blessing. He pours it out liberally and abundantly, even life forevermore. The Lord commands a blessing in the unified place. The Lord releases the fragrance of Christ through us in the unified place. It's called the oil of gladness in Psalms 45. Isaiah 61 also talks about this. There is a release into the heavenly realms when we come together in unity. And this is why Jesus says, when you do this, then the world will know that you have sent me, God. And then when we're one, as you're one, it's the biggest evangelism draw on the face of the planet because this is what people are longing for. True unity that's substituted with lesser things and wisdom of man. When we fight and divide in the church, we're doing more than fighting and dividing. We're doing those things, but think of all that we're missing out on. In unity. When we're fighting and dividing, it's not about these little periphery issues as much as it's about about what we're not doing. And the power that's released there, oh, I'm telling you guys, there is power in unity. Unbelievable, world-changing power in unity. And this is why the devil hates it And this is why the flesh of man hates it. Because the flesh lusts against the spirit. It wars against the spirit. And there's warfare over this even right now. Okay. If there's this much power in unity, then there must be great warfare against it. I want to talk about that for just a minute. The word unity means the quality or state of not being multiple. Unity means oneness. So if there's that much power in the quality and the state of not being multiple or oneness, then the enemy is seeking to get us into multiplied different places separated and a lack of oneness and he's seeking division. So the Bible has an answer for this. Go with me or share this with House Church a month or two ago. Go with me to Ephesians chapter four, if you would. This is after three glorious chapters in what's arguably the highest and holiest and best epistle ever written. And after he talks about all Christ has done in us and how he he teaches us to live from the seated place in him in the heavenly realms, now he's teaching us to walk it out. So after he says all that Christ has done, now he says, now this is you. Now he says in verse one of chapter four, as a prisoner of the Lord, then... I urge you to walk worthy, believers, or to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Now it says in another place, God makes us worthy of our calling. We don't do that. But we're to walk in a way that is worthy of the calling that God has made us worthy of. We don't make ourselves worthy of that calling. We walk in a way that's worthy of that calling. That's our responsibility live life worthy or walk worthy of the calling you have received. It's a holy calling, a heavenly calling. And this is how you do that. Verse two, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. And verse three, I want y'all to make every effort. I want you to work hard at this. This is your responsibility. I want you to be diligent in this. I want you to keep or maintain or preserve the unity or the oneness that y'all have in the Spirit, that sweet-smelling fragrance. I want you to maintain that unity in the Spirit through the bond of peace, this is how you maintain the unity that you have to create it. You're not making it up. You're keeping it. You're preserving it. You're maintaining it. How do you do it? Through this thing we call the bond of peace. We're linked together in the Holy Spirit, in the bond of peace. Maintain that. Hang on to that. Don't let that go. Why? Because there's one body and one spirit, just as you were called. One hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, over all and through all and in all. But look at verse seven. But to each one of us Grace has been given. So what is he saying here? Maintain unity in the spirit because you're all in Christ and he's one. He's not divided. You're already one in Christ. One God, one father, one baptism. But here's the deal. In Christ, you singularly are different and that's okay. It's not that we're one in Christ and we become brainwashed and we all think and act the exact same way. He says, no, you're different in the body of Christ. You all have a different grace, but you don't actually even know your true personality until you're unlocked in Christ Jesus. So Oswald Chambers says it this way, you only reach your true identity once you're merged with another person. I was a completely different person walking in the flesh and living as a, a free man in my own mind thinking I was, but really being conformed to the pattern of this age and this world. I'm a completely different individual in my, in my soul, the way I act, the way I think. Even right now, I'm different than I used to be. Why? Because my life was merged with Christ Jesus, and many of you know what I'm talking about. I think Joanne Stotts at her testimony. Joanne, Joanne Stotts, everybody, afraid to talk out loud to people. She was nervous. She was an introvert, right? The Lord's changed her. Why? Not because she's learned how to be an extrovert. It's because Christ in her says, this is who you really are. You're an encourager for the body of Christ. She's a cheerleader for us. She says, come on, get your eyes on Jesus. He'll do it. He's good. That's who she is. But her personality was actually locked up in her soul, in her flesh, before she was merged with Christ Jesus. Does this make sense? C.S. Lewis says, imagine it this way in mere Christianity. He says, imagine that you were speaking to a people who only lived in darkness and they never knew what the light was. And imagine saying to them, when the light shines on you, you're going to see glories and you're going to understand things you never understood before. And then imagine these people who are living in darkness saying, well, if it's the same light and we reflect it the same way, then that can only mean that we're all going to be carbon copies of one another. And C.S. Lewis says, no, you and I both know the light actually demonstrates how different we all are but we need the light. And he says, think about salt. Imagine you were speaking to someone who knew not what salt was in another country. And you said, here, take a pinch of this. And he puts the salt on his tongue. And you say, in America, we use salt for our food. He says, well, that must ruin your food then because it's such a strong taste. It must overpower all of your food in America. When he says, you and I both know, the salt comes in and it unlocks the different flavors of each food group. It enhances it. So in Christ, we're not carbon copies. We're different, but we are unified. Yes? Then amen? So our true personality has to be unlocked. He says this. He says, the more we get what we now call Ourselves out of the way. Remember, he must increase and I must decrease. The more we get what we know is ourselves out of the way and let him take us over, the more truly ourselves we become. In fact, there's so much of Christ that millions and millions of little Christs still will be too few to express him fully. Isn't that good? He's so manifold. He's so beautiful. He's so wonderful. It takes more than millions of us to truly express him. That's why we need everybody for who they are in the kingdom. The hand to be a hand, the eye to be eye, the ear to be ear. He made them all. He invented, as an author invents characters in a novel, all the different men that you and I were intended to be. So in that sense our real selves are waiting for us in Him. So it's no good trying to be myself without Him. The more I resist Him and try to live on my own, the more I become dominated by my own heredity and upbringing and surroundings and natural desires. It's when I turn to Christ, when I give myself up to His personality, that I first began to have a real personality of my own. Jesus longs for us to be set free, but we have to do that in unity. We don't find our own voice apart from the body of Christ. We don't find it in isolation. We actually find it submitting to one another in love. That's when we find out who we truly are in him. So we watched, remember, the Titans last night with our kids. First time we had seen, I stood up and gave him a history lesson in terms of what segregation meant in the 60s. And then we watched this movie, and it takes place in 1971, so based on a true story, in Alexandria, Virginia, at T.C. Williams High School, where they had integrated this high school. And if you remember, they had a head coach, a white coach, And they brought in Denzel Washington's character, Herman Boone, and they made him the head coach over this integrated high school football team. And so what happened is this team that was blinded by hate, it was very uncomfortable. There was very cold things said, and it was a very harsh atmosphere. And they get together on the at the bus to go to training day, and uh, Gary, the the team captain, walks up to the coach to Denzel Washington. He says, "We don't need any of your people on defense. We've got that covered." I'm an All-American. He starts bragging about his strengths. We have everything we need. You do what you want to with your people. We got it covered. We're talented. And I just love this scene. It makes me laugh. Denzel Washington goes up to him and says, You see your mama? You're not gonna have your mom when you get on that bus. You're gonna have your team and your daddy. And you know who your daddy is, right? <laughs> and he makes him say, he makes him say, This is such a great scene. I love it. Denzel Washington's the only one that can do that. So they're bragging about their strengths and talents, but they're separate. Yeah, they're kind of on one team, but they're not one team in their mind yet at this point. And so they get on the bus, and they go, and then through training camp, they begin to get unified and united, and they become one. And all of a sudden, this team, selfish people, starts to become selfless. And for the sake of the win of the national championship, they start to say, no, he's better than I am. Put him in for the sake of the win no, I'll step back. I'm gonna block harder for him. I'm gonna work so that the team is promoted. And it starts with Gary and Julius. I think I've got a picture of them. The, the, the black team captain and the white team captain. And these guys have an absolutely cold relationship starting off. They're staying in the same room. Take the poster down and they're fighting and all this kind of stuff. And their relationship, because of what they learn as a team, stay with me here, talking about the church, because they, they, they start to see each other in a different light with eyes according to the spirit, not according to flesh, they, their relationship becomes warm. And they begin to move as brothers on the team. And then they get back home and their relationship takes another level to hot. And all of a sudden, like, uh, Gary's inviting Julius over to his house and he's hugging his white mama who's racist. And and there's this beautiful thing that happens and then Gary gets in the accident. Sorry, spoiler, you might've seen it before. Gary gets in the accident and Julius is standing there weeping at his bedside because he loves him as a brother. It's a beautiful story. It's fantastic, and so what happened in the movie is they won the state championship, yay, and they were second in the nation. But what, Hollywood takes some liberty here. They show multiple games being like last second victories, and they show the championship game as being a last second victory. And In reality, it wasn't true. There is so much power in unity that they not only went 13-0 and in that season, They won almost every single game in a blowout. Nine of the 13 were shutouts. The opposite team had zero points. And the championship game, the state championship, they won 27-0. There was so much power in this team that other teams literally just got mowed down all season long. They were runner-up for the best team in the nation with a brand new coach that season. So I'm preaching on what I'm preaching on today. And I just think by the sovereign Lord, I watched that movie last night so I could tell you it's exactly what it's like in the church today. I got our strengths over here. I don't need you crazy charismatic people. We got our strengths over here. We don't need you Bible thumping, you know, Protestant reform guys over here. We just... We need the word and the spirit, yes? We need both. We need to see each other according to the flesh, but there's great, war- according to the spirit, but there's great warfare over this. And so it takes humility. And so he says, I want you to be completely humble. I want you to be gentle. I want you to be patient, bearing with one another in love. Our rule that I said a few months ago is three words in this church. Do not gossip. Say it with me. Do not gossip. Look at your neighbor and say it to them. Do not gossip. That's the rule. I had a brother in the Lord come to me. It was so sweet. He said, I've been around elder equipped for a while. He said, I just want to testify to you. I do not hear gossip here. I do not hear slander here. And he said, I just want to encourage you. That's not really normal in the church today. Good job. So I'm saying this to you as a people who are already really good at this. We don't slander. We take the biblical route in relationships. You've heard it said that absence makes the heart grow fonder. And I've got a phrase for you. Relational distance makes the heart grow harder. I'm not talking about geographical distance or even not seeing a good old friend for two years and picking up where you left off. I'm saying relational distance caused by hurt, offense, and doubt that leads to separation. That makes the heart grow harder. And so remember with me in 1 Corinthians 13, love always does a few things. Love always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres. Another translation says, love always bears all things or it patiently accepts all things. Love always believes all things or it trusts all things about our brothers and sisters. Love always hopes all things. Love always endures or perseveres all things. It's what love always does. And so I was thinking about if there's an attack on love, on unity in the body of Christ, we want these red hot relationships where we're like weeping, like, I'll die for you. We don't want these warm or these cold relationships. If that's the attack, What is maintaining unity through the spirit in the bond of peace looks like? What does it look like? We've all seen this a thousand times, yes? You maybe have been through this a thousand times. White flags, surrender, give up on this relationship. You don't need them in your life. They're bothering you too much. Now, I'm not talking about abuse here. Abuse is not tolerated. What we are talking about, though, is when iron sharpens iron. We've got relational friction here. this is when he's talking about, I want you to make every effort to maintain unity in the Spirit through the bond of peace. 1 John 5 says, If you say you love God, the proof in the pudding is that you love His children. Now, imagine to me if someone came up to me and said, I love you. I'm, I'm devoted to you in relationship. I tell you who I can't stand it's your oldest son, Asher. He drives me crazy. I despise him. I can't even look at him, but I love you. How do I respond to that as a loving father? Look, what are you talking about? How can you say that to me and then say that to me? Those two don't mix. So 1 John says, if we say we love God who we can't see, but we hate our brother or sister who we can see, then we're a liar. It's not true. God says, you're a liar. If you say to me, you love me, but you hate one of my boys, it's, the truth isn't dwelling in you. It does not work. And so I'm praying in this season that there would be many gifts left at the altar and we would not come to fast and to pray and to worship and to give if we've got aught in our heart towards a brother and unforgiveness in our heart towards a brother, that we would go and first be reconciled with them. I didn't finish this visual example off, but the power of humility and reconciliation is Sean and Becky run back to the middle and those spirits flee away and they hold each other again in unity. That's the result of humility and asking for forgiveness. It says you cannot love God that you have not seen if you do not love your brothers and sisters who you have seen. And so this is the command. He who says he loves God must also love his brothers and sisters. 1 John says, if you hate your brother and sister as walked out by this doubt and this mistrust, and this accusation and the giving up, then you're walking in the darkness and you stumble and fall. And the darkness actually blinds you. Unity is what God's after. And he wants that oil of unity in that place. Let me finish with this. Practically, according to the scriptures, think with me at Psalms 23, where is the oil of unity poured out? In what context you make me, you spread me a feast in the presence of my, you anoint my head with oil. In the context of trial and trouble and being surrounded with enemies is where the oil is poured out. Psalms 141.5 says it this way, let the righteous man strike me. Let him rebuke me and it'll be like what? Oil on my head in the context of relational turbulence and, and, and friction and a rebuke from a righteous brother and sister comes oil. As you're ready to receive that in humility, he's ready to pour it out. Keep in mind, the oil is poured out from above, above onto Aaron's head, and then it runs down the beard and then down his robes. meaning there's plenty of oil and it flows from heaven to earth. But it's in the context of relational difficulties. So Lizzie and I do not get divorced after 17 years because it's hard. I'm so glad we didn't do that. We maintain. We talk through it. Again, we're not talking about abuse here. Not, that's not okay. But we're talking about in just relational difficulties back and forth. I doubt her. She accuses me. I hurt her. She hurts me. We walk through it and we talk through it and we go through the proper channels biblically and we get to the other side. Hopefully someday, 37 years rejoicing in the Lord for our marriage. And the same in the body of Christ, we wanna walk this out as intentionally as we're living out our marriages. Now God does give an out, I'll finish with this, Romans 12, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Because you and I both know, no matter how clean you're trying to be in your heart, and how much you lay yourself down and humble yourself before them, some people are for war. If you're for peace. Peace. Some people will repay slander and accusation for a word of love and forgiveness and humility. And so God says some people will do that. You don't have to try to hang out at their house every Friday night. And be, You just, as long as it depends on you, you lay down unforgiveness in your heart, you bless them and you leave them for the Lord to work that out. You, you can't be in the middle of that. They have to work that out. As far as it depends on you, if it's possible, you live at peace with everyone. So, There's great days ahead for the body of Christ, yes? And we want the signs and the wonders and the miracles. I want sick people healed, dead, raised. We wanna see the lost come in. I'm telling you, in that same list of signs and wonders and miracles is the body of Christ living radically unified. That's a sign. That's a wonder. That's a miracle. That's a fragrance that you cannot contain. Everybody will know about it when the body of Christ is unified. So may that be us, in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen? All right. Stand up, guys, if you would. Lord Jesus, if you could accomplish salvation, if you could walk through the trials of the cross and of your passion to accomplish salvation, surely you can accomplish unity in the body of Christ. You're the only one that can do it. Jesus, you prayed it, that we would be one. So I pray today, Lord, that we would leave this place encouraged in heart and more united in love than ever before. I pray, God, for a dedication for unity for us. Lord, we need you. We need you to change our way of thinking, God. Father, I pray that broken relationships be restored in this next season, in Jesus' name. Lord, we're asking for animosity, for doubt, for mistrust, for misunderstanding. Lord, I'm praying for ears to hear and eyes to see, God. I pray for the tormenting work of the enemy to bring distraction and division to stop in the name of Jesus, Lord. And I pray for a return to biblical normalcy in relationships, God. Oh God, I'm asking for you to do what only you can do. Make us one, even as you are one, Lord. So bless us as we go, as we come back together here in a couple of weeks, Lord, for this equipped meeting. Lord, I pray for our house churches next week to be blessed, radically unified. Bless those who are sick today, heal them. Bless all those who are traveling today, bring them back together to us safely, Lord, we ask all this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Bless you guys, bless you guys. We'll see you in a couple of weeks back here.